Hello everyone and welcome to the Curious Mind podcast. My name is Gabriel Ellis. I'm a psychotherapist and Buddhist scholar. And in this podcast, I take deep dives into complex psychological topics that affect our well-being in general. Today, I would like to provide an introduction to meditation. Not in the sense that I would give you a meditation instruction or do a guided meditation. There are plenty of apps, audio tapes, and YouTube videos for that anyway. I rather want to discuss what meditation is all about, to provide some historical context, and to show some of the logic behind it all. First, to give you a little bit about my own background. After some general interest in philosophy and spiritual traditions, around the year 2000 I came across a translation of the oldest historical Buddhist texts and I was for some reason immediately fascinated and thought that it was very different from what I read before. Then I continued to read and study them and finally in 2004 I went to Sri Lanka to attend my first extended meditation retreat for about three months and since then I have had a more or less continuous meditation practice with extended retreats and monastery stays, anything between three and nine months at a stretch. And I also continued my scholarly research. Then two years ago, I started my PhD thesis about early Buddhism at Warsaw University, and I will probably finish writing my thesis at the end of this year. In terms of meditation, my focus was mostly on historical Buddhism and the so-called Theravada tradition, which simply means the tradition of Thailand, Myanmar, and Sri Lanka. And it also means that I did not much deal with uh, Zen or the Tibetan meditation uh, traditions, which came several centuries after the historical Indian Buddhism. So what was the meaning of meditation at the time of the Buddha, which was approximately 400 BC, uh, and how was it before the Buddha? If you look into the esoteric literature, many traditions will claim that their spiritual practice, for example yoga, has been around for thousands of years. These claims are certainly not scientific and are mostly based on legendary accounts. What we can historically confirm is that before the Buddha, there was for sure ritual devotional practice with sacrifices to the gods, etc. And there was some sort of meditation around, but not in the sense that we understand it today. What spiritual seekers practiced back then was a severe form of austerity, like fasting, standing motionless for hours or lying in the direct sun on the ground for the whole day, these kinds of things. So these austere practices were meant to eliminate the attachment to the body and to free oneself from sensual desires. And for sure, those practices were, were painful. And this was also kind of the point. The Buddha basically agreed that our attachment to sensual desires leads to many problems. This attitude was some sort of a shared attitude in Northeast India at that time. But we can also say with certainty that the Buddha introduced to the world stage 
meditations which were utilizing the experience of pleasure and even ecstatic joy, which is the so-called samadhi. This was not just a pleasant alternative to the severe previous practices. The Buddha saw samadhi as absolutely necessary, this joy, in order to liberate the mind step by step until the eventual eventual final liberation of the mind, which is also known as nirvana or nibbana. So if we follow in these footsteps and we believe that, yes, to have a, an open, joyful, sometimes even ecstatic state of mind is actually necessary in order to bring about uh, a more liberated mind, how do we go about to create this joy in meditation? You will often find methods that involve concentration on the breath, a light, a mantra, some mental image, or an attitude of loving kindness, and to continuously concentrate on these mental objects. This is one of the standard approaches to meditation. I guess you're probably aware that in the last years, another very popular approach um, sneaked into our uh, public discourse with the term of mindfulness. And the idea of mindfulness, as is commonly understood, is basically to have an attitude of letting go and non-attachment to our own thoughts and feelings, to let uh, our thoughts and feelings come and then to let them go again, and then to be rather in this neutral observing state of mind. Uh, this has become by now a very popular technique in the West, is even scientifically researched, has shown to have positive influences on people's minds, but it's not much for me because I don't think that it's a sustainable method to drastically change the quality of the mind, which is something that I'm more interested in when I pursue the practice of meditation. So I think that all these methods can eventually be effective. But what I would like to do here is to shed some light on something that I think is more fundamental and that needs to happen in any kind of meditation that you practice. So what the ancient Indians, and especially the Buddha, understood is that the mind, which can be open and flexible, is nevertheless usually fixed in a very specific, tight location. Some sort of a home base, a place where we have made ourselves comfortable mentally. In most cases, this home base, if you will, is fixed at the point which deals with our accomplishments, frustrations, fears and hopes. This is the most normal place for us mentally to stay in. And this is why so many people say that they can't stop thinking. The fixation of the mind is exactly where they try to figure out how to solve their problems. It's like binding someone to a chair and force them to watch a particular TV channel. And most people perceive this fixed location, the inability to stop thinking and worrying, as very unpleasant, understandably so. So what is it that they do? Standard approaches to take a little break from this um, unpleasant mindset 
is to do sports, to go dancing, sex, an actual vacation, recreational drugs, visit shows, watch TV shows, movies, music, all these things. Now, all these tools are valid within themselves. I don't disagree with that at all, but they also have some disadvantages. They are relatively close to the fixation point that I'm trying to escape, which means that the mind can go back to this fixed bound state relatively quickly. Those points are not far away from each other. And all these tools depend on some objects to make them happen. Which means that my real or metaphorical vacation has to be organized in the outside world with more or less success. So, for example, in order to do sports, I need to have a healthy body and I need to have the motivation to go to the sports place or to do my exercises at home. Um, in order to go dancing, I need to have a pleasant surrounding, a place that I know works for me, dancing partners. Recreational drugs come with their disadvantages. To distract myself with TV shows and so on eventually turns out is not really successful. And all this. So, again, all these tools have their place, but if I overuse them in order to achieve my goal of distraction or compensation, then eventually I will find myself at a place of loss and not really knowing how to avoid my unpleasant thoughts that come creeping back on me. So what is necessary is that while I'm doing my concentration or mindfulness exercises, I'm very aware that I have to move my whole mental home base to another location, not just the momentary concentration. And what are the characteristics of this new place? And how do I get there? These are, of course, the important questions that need to be answered, but nonetheless, they cannot, unfortunately, be answered in a simple way. But I know what is not happening in this new home base. For sure, no negative thoughts and feelings. And for sure, this new Samadhi home base is not a war zone. It's free from friction. It's free from the fear to be taken over by negativity. It's even free from positive thinking, I would say, because in the mind, positive thinking and negative thinking take place at a very similar place of thinking. Now, I know that at this point, this new home base, as I call it, sounds like a magical island with no actual map to go there. And in a way, this is true. We do not know how to go there. We might have learned in our past and in our life how to navigate life situations more or less, but we typically have not learned how to move this fixed location of our minds, especially not since puberty and adolescence, and for sure not in our adult lives. I would argue that there is still a way to go there, namely by giving our unconscious precise instructions for where you want to go. It's as if Aladdin tells his flying carpet, please take me to the place that is peaceful and free from thoughts and normal emotions. Now, of course, this won't instantly work because 
over the past years or decades, you were telling your flying carpet, please take me to the land of thoughts, unfulfilled fantasies, the fear of failing and friction. What it means is that it's necessary to do course corrections all the time. Because in the past, I have given my flying carpet, as I call the unconscious, very different instructions. And in order for this carpet to get me where I want, there needs to be absolute clarity without a confusion. And this is where the alertness is essential. I have to catch myself sending other messages to my carpet ride and to do a course correction stating again and again very clearly where I want to go. So in the meditation practice, I will find myself being tempted to go back to this unpleasant experience at work, uh, in traffic, in my relationship. And then I recognize, wow, by repeating these thoughts, I'm actually seducing my carpet ride to take me to that place. So I have to stop it consciously as far as I can. Not in a brutal way, but more with the understanding that as much as I let these thoughts happen and I agree with their flow, my ride will go in that direction. And since I'm aiming at a very different point, I cannot be really interested in those thoughts and in the content of them. I cannot be interested in thoughts at all. So I would say the right attitude in meditation when thoughts come up is not to start to struggle with the thoughts and if they're valid or not, if they're positive or not, because again, also positive thoughts are very close to the place where negative thoughts take place. I think the right position is to take the value away from any kind of considerations. So the only thing that interests me when I find myself thinking is that I'm thinking again, wrong place. Please take me to the place of peace where no thoughts are happening. Now, everyone who has a little bit of experience with meditation will recognize the implications. Of course, I need to have, for example, a gentle attitude towards myself doing this. How else would I expect my flying carpet to take me to a new peaceful place if I consciously indulge an overcritical and even resentful attitude towards myself? If I have made myself comfortable living in a self-critical home, I cannot expect my unconscious to take me somewhere else because my comfort my thoughts, my indulgence in the thoughts, is giving my unconscious a precise direction where I want to be. And if I have made myself comfortable in these self-critical places, in those worrying and annoyed places, then my unconscious will have no reason to take me anywhere else. So the first step would be to become uncomfortable at the self-critical home doubting that this is where I'm supposed to be, and by developing an accepting, benevolent, general attitude towards myself and my world. And this is how ideally a personal development 
and ethical development and meditation would go hand in hand. By continuously becoming more comfortable at a new mental place, a new mental home base of mental peace, and making myself uncomfortable at my habitual mental place of overthinking, worries, and self-criticism. This last part, the making myself uncomfortable in my habitual places, means again that I'm not struggling with the thoughts. When I find myself blaming myself, uh, feeling guilty, feeling remorse, all these things, worrying about the future and so on, then when I'm in meditation mode, I'm not starting to solve this problem and, and trying to push these thoughts aside to manage them somehow, to somehow make them positive. What I realize is that I'm having these repetitive thoughts means that I have made myself very comfortable in this position for whatever purpose, for whatever reason. And that, I realize, has to stop. I don't want to be a person where thoughts like these come up automatically because it shows that I am in the wrong, unhealthy mental place. And the consequence of this is not that I reject individual thoughts and hope for other thoughts to replace them, because this is just an expression of friction. This is just an expression of struggle which is again exactly the place where I am and where I don't want to be. So I cannot do that. The only thing that I do is to realize I'm at a wrong place. I really want to be in a more peaceful place. And then a gentle request to the unconscious, please take me there. Take me to a place of peace. Take me to a place of less friction. Now, if you want some sort of a mantra, this is what I would repeat to my unconscious if it comes to, from a place of sincerity, not as a tool and not as a technique. If it comes from a place of sincerity, this will lead to an unconscious being convinced and being clear about where it should go, and it will take me there. As I said in the beginning, this is not really a meditation instruction, but more a perspective on which attitude is necessary while you're doing whatever meditation practice you do. If I have this right attitude, if I keep in mind that whatever meditation I'm doing as a subtext, I need to communicate to my unconscious to take me to a completely new place, not just a short vacation, but that I need to rebuild my mental home base somewhere else, then I think there is a real chance for the meditation to be fruitful and at least to go in the right direction. That's it for today. Thanks everyone for listening. Feel free to leave a comment and if you enjoyed it, tune in to another episode on this channel. Below you can also find a link to my website, elliscounseling.com, and my Facebook page, Ellis Counseling and Psychotherapy, where you can contact me for online therapy or counseling sessions.